This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. On this episode, we'll explore what creates happiness and purpose as we age. And we're going to look at ways in which we can navigate change and strengthen our relationships as we get older. Joining us is social scientist Arthur C. Brooks, who is a Harvard professor, best-selling author, and columnist at The Atlantic. He's also the author of a new book called From Strength to Strength, Finding Success happiness, and deep purpose in the second half of life. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Delighted to be with you. Congratulations on your wonderful show, Helping People, every time we tune in. Well, thank you so much. Congratulations on your new book, which is is doing the same thing. And the book is somewhat the result of your own personal journey, isn't it? It really is. You know, I'm a, I'm a happiness specialist. I'm a social scientist. And I look at behavior, all different kinds of behaviors. And I've been thinking about happiness for long time for 25 years, but I realized that that nobody was doing happiness work that asked the following question. What what can I do at 25 or 45 or even 65 that can remarkably change the odds of being happy when I'm 75? Most people just think, I don't know, I'll live right and hope for the best. And you know, if I get happy, I'm happy, it'll be good luck. But it turns out we don't have to leave it up to luck. Eight years of research on the subject of how people can get happier as they age have shown me a lot. There are about 10 things that we can do that can practically guarantee that we'll get happier as we get older, maybe be the happiest we've ever been in our lives. Please get into that (laughs) and tell us the new formula that we should be following. Well, we start with actually not making some very common mistakes. And what I'm really writing this book for is People who are trying to do a lot with their lives, they're trying to be really successful. And, you know, nobody's going to tune into nobody told me who's not a striver. I mean, that your audience are people who are go-getters. They're, they're, they're trying to improve themselves. And that's a beautiful thing. The trouble with that is that people who do that often find that they're quite disappointed when their first successes inevitably go away. And what I'm talking about here is a a kind of intelligence that we've studied in my field called fluid intelligence. This is uh, your ability to solve problems, work hard, concentrate deeply, innovate. And and it tends to be very high and going up in your 20s and 30s. And it tends to start coming down in your 40s and 50s. And people who, if they find their job seems to be getting a little less interesting or a little bit harder, and they think that that's kind of their only win, their only success curve, then they can be pretty pretty frustrated maybe start raging and struggling and trying to get their old groove back. And that's the first mistake to not make, actually. Yeah, wait, explain that. Why shouldn't we try to get the old groove back? (laughs) Because there's a new groove behind it. Ah, So this is the first big secret of growing older. (laughs) You get two success curves. Most people don't know this. They think that, you know, I got kind of good at my job. I worked really hard. I was promoted and I got raises and, you know, maybe not as much as I wanted, but Things went okay on the basis of my hard work and personal responsibility. Well, that's the first success curve. They don't know that there's a second one behind it. So this first one is called fluid intelligence. And it's actually structurally in the brain, something that we can recognize. 
But there's another intelligence behind it called crystallized intelligence that gets higher in your 40s and especially your 50s and 60s and stays high in your 70s and 80s. And if you get the years even beyond that, that's the kind of intelligence that doesn't reward super fast processing speed, solving problems that somebody else gives you faster than anybody else. That's a kind of intelligence that rewards teaching ability, the ability to put people together in teams, to take ideas that other people have generated and make them into a coherent storyline. So the first part, fluid intelligence, is let's call that your innovator intelligence, your Sherlock Holmes, your Elon Musk intelligence. The second kind of intelligence is your master teacher, your Dalai Lama intelligence. And so if we go from innovator to instructor, We can have more success in the second part than in the first part, but we can't keep struggling to keep the old groove alive. You just mentioned the Dalai Lama, and I want to know what the Dalai Lama taught you about why it's so important to feel needed, especially in that second half of life. Well, the Dalai Lama has taught me a great deal. I've worked very closely with him over the past 10 years. He's my teacher, my mentor, my friend. He actually promoted or endorsed this book, as a matter of fact, and and it was It's been an incredible life-changing experience. You know, people always say, don't meet your heroes because they turn out to have, as the Bible puts it, feet of clay. (laughs) The Dalai Lama doesn't have feet of clay. He turns out to be better (laughs) than anybody thinks. And and he's the most beloved religious figure in the world today. And he's taught me so many important things. The first thing that he taught me was that the, the secret to satisfaction as we age is to stop trying to get everything we want and start wanting what we already have. This is a really interesting idea, isn't it? He says, stop trying to manage your haves to have more possessions, more relationships, more stuff, more prestige. He says, no, 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 no. Instead of a bucket list, you need a reverse bucket list. You need to start decreasing your wants as opposed to increasing your haves. And then you can reveal the the, the beautiful person that is inside you, not encumbered with all that junk and stuff. On the contrary, this is one of the ways that we jump from that first curve to the second curve by, by chipping away all that rock and granite outside to find the person that we are within. But you say we are wired biologically to never feel enough success or satisfaction. So why is that? Yeah, it's Mother Nature is a... She's a cruel tyrant. I'm telling you, it's uh, Mother Nature wants you to run, 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 because this is evolutionarily the best way for you to pass on your genes is to be more successful than the troglodyte in the next cave over to have more you know, buffalo jerky and animal skins or something. But, but the truth is that that's, doesn't, that's not going to make you happy. Mother Nature doesn't really care if we're happy. Mother Nature just wants us to be good in the competitive scene. And and so we have to be responsible for that. Now, the good news about being human is we've got these big brains. We don't just have that ancient limbic system that says run, 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 get, 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 acquire, acquire. That's your lizard brain that's doing that. We also have these big prefrontal cortex lobes, the parts right behind our forehead that that makes us fully human, that makes people say, you know what I'm going to do today? When I am working out in the gym, which is a, which is a decision, I'm going to turn on nobody told me, which is a good decision. Uh, that, yes, those it are, is. It's a conscious decision. <laughs> yeah. And that's what we can do with our emotions and with our drives as well. Look, we can let our feelings manage us or we can manage them. And this is one of the key lessons in from strength to strength. One of the key lessons in this book is that we need to go from being managed by our feelings to managing our feelings. And in so doing, we'll get happier as we age. 
What should somebody do if they're listening to this and saying, yeah, I get that. That would be great, but I really didn't accomplish much in the first part of my life. I don't feel like I have anything that I can teach the next generation. Well, it turns out everybody has something to teach the next generation. You know, my grandfather was a, was a printer. You know, he never aspired to be a CEO. He never got rich. Um, but I remember all the things that my grandfather taught me. He had run a printing press for 60 years or so. And he really was an expert in the art of life, <laughs> I have to say. I mean, most of the really interesting things that, that he told me, I, I reflect on them today. And these are the most important things that are in my life about my relationships, about my, my religious beliefs, about what it means to be part of a healthy and happy family, about ultimately about how to raise my own kids. And, and this is what we all can teach. It's one thing to say, yeah, I, I'm not qualified to teach calculus to somebody to the next generation. I'm not qualified to go teach at some fancy university, but there's more important things to teach than that all day long. Tell us more about how faith rises with age. I found that really interesting. Yeah, I know this is a real puzzle, as a matter of fact. You know, we thought for forever that science was going to crowd out faith, but that turns out to be wrong. The truth of the matter is that faith and science, they, they complement each other. It's kind of like saying that the, you know, <clears throat> that looking at a painting would crowd out any interest in the artist. Well, it turns out there are Picasso paintings and there was Picasso the artist, and both are really, really important to understanding the art itself. The same thing is true with, with, with faith and reason. Now, the, the, the fact that science hasn't crowded out faith is, is pretty interesting. And even more interesting than that is as people grow, as they age, they get more religious. This is almost always the case. Now, early on in life, in early adult life, for example, people in their 20s and maybe even their 30s, they tend to say, like, I don't know about religion. I don't have time for it. It's got a ton of rules. And and you know what? Quite frankly, it seems inconsistent. I keep hearing that there's a merciful God, for example, and I see pain in the world. Well, that doesn't make sense. Forget about it. Well, come about 45 or 50 years old, and you start realizing that nothing in life is that simple, and life is actually a pretty messy business. There's lots of stuff that seems contradictory, and you can live with that. You're better at living with contradiction. You're better at living with unresolved questions. And as, as a result of that, people start looking for the transcendent in places they might have rejected before. Now, some people listening to us, they've had a religious faith since they were kids and they never questioned it and, and more power to them. But for everybody who's gone through periods of, of questioning and, and decided that maybe religion is not for them, as they get older, they might want to reassess that. One of the reasons for that is that faith comes easier when you're older. And, and second of all, and I, and I don't mean any particular religious faith, I mean any, any serious ponderance of the transcendent, and the, and the second reason is because one of the things that we find is that people who grow older happily are people who have a sense of the transcendent, people who have a faith or meditation practice, people who have a, a big idea that they're not the only thing in the world. You want to grow old, happy, and well. Well, a spiritual life is a big part of that. Is a lot of it too, because people will go to a family gathering like a Christmas or something like that and realize, I don't know how many of these I have left. And hmm there has to be something that brings everybody together and makes me feel so warm inside and I want to cherish it more. That's what came to mind when I thought about it. That's interesting. And, and you know, that, that actually touches on another one of the great secrets to happiness. We talked a minute ago about why the brain plays tricks on us. And, you know, the mother nature says that you want to be satisfied and happy. You need to look for four things, money, power, pleasure, and prestige. That's what people really want. But these things don't bring satisfaction. The four secrets 
the four habits of the happiest people as they grow older are faith, family, friendship, and work that serves others, whether it pays or not. <laughs> and so family is another one of these things. And I talk about it a lot about, especially for people who've worked very hard over the course of their lives. And, and maybe they've even marginalized some of their family relationships. I talked to person after person in this book that I interviewed some very successful people. And one of the things that they would tell me again and again is that they had chosen to be special over being happy and they were addicted to their own success. And and one of the one of the characteristics of addiction is always it crowds out your actual human relationships, whether it's an addiction to drugs or alcohol or or just working all day long. And, and I tell them they have to reestablish their root system. It's a metaphor I like to use about this for true happiness, which is the metaphor of the aspen grove. The aspen tree looks like one of the most majestic, solitary, lonely, but beautiful and, and strong things, entities that you can imagine. And the truth of the matter is that that aspen trees are actually stands of aspen are all one plant. They all have one root system. The largest organism in the world is an aspen stand in Utah called Pando. That's 106 acres of aspen trees, and it's all one organism. And that's what we have to remember. Look, you can see yourself as solitary and alone and growing old in your majesty, but in your isolation, or you can realize that you're, you've got a root system. And if you don't cultivate that root system, you're not going to enjoy the fact that part of your life is that little aspen next to you. <laughs> and, and that's what's happening when you get that warm feeling when you go home for the holidays. And that's the warm feeling that you enjoy. And that should increase as the number of holidays in your life numerically starts to go down. Tell us more about the fear of decline and how it can be solved. Most people who have done a lot with their lives or tried to do a lot with their lives and they start to see some decline in their abilities, they kind of freak out. They, they rage against that decline. They fight and they try to hide it and they feel horrible about it. But the truth is that that's based in a, in a fear of death. Most people listening to us would say, I'm not afraid of death. Only about 20% of Americans are morbidly afraid of death. That's a, a phobia called thanatophobia. And, and it's only what, I mean, one in five is not nothing, but it's not most people who are listening to us. But anybody who ever said, you know what, my work is my life. Those people have fear of decline in their professional abilities as their own personal version of the fear of death. When I talk to those people about their fear of their decline, wow, it's like talking to somebody who says, I'm never going to die. I can't die. I can't face death. It's the same kind of phobia. So we have to treat it the same way that we do anything else. And this is one of the great secrets to growing old happily. Look at your fears, name your fears, face your fears. It's so incredibly critical. There's no way that you can beat your fear unless you look straight into it, unless you have the courage to say, I'm going to imagine this. I'm going to take this seriously. The ancient Buddhist masters have talked about this for thousands of years. The Buddhists have a, 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 a meditation called the Maranasati meditation, which is the death meditation. And it seems really morbid and, and, and terrible, but, but hear me out. It, it's a nine-step meditation where you imagine yourself in various states of decomposition, believe it or not, and say, that is me. In some monasteries in Southeast Asia, as a matter of fact, they'll find, you can find, and I've seen this, uh, photographs on the wall of corpses in various state of decomposition. And the, met, the, the monks will look at the photos and say, that is me, that is me again and again and again. Well, okay, let's say you don't want to do that and you're not afraid of death. Imagine yourself in decline. Imagine your skills declining and your personal prestige declining. 
Imagine it. Really think about it. That's your own death meditation. It's not scary, it turns out. This, the, the fear goes away with a familiarity. This is one of the ways to be fully alive, is to recognize that life changes. Not always in the ways that we want, but even when it changes in ways that seem negative, therein lies opportunity. And this is the way to find the opportunity. I can think about seniors who maybe were successful in the first part of their lives. And then, you know, I mean, just as you get older, they're in a wheelchair, they're on a walker and there's stuff going on physically and they don't feel significant. And that even with volunteering, they can't really give back. They can't physically give. And I imagine that causes depression and just makes them feel worthless. So what would you suggest for somebody like that? Well, to begin with, it's absolutely true that that the feeling of irrelevance is absolutely tied up with depression and older age. And it's one of the biggest reasons that we find people who are in assisted living or in, in nursing care who are treated like, like liabilities. They're treated like something to manage. That's just what's bringing on their depression. So the first thing that we need to keep in mind is that everybody has something to give. And the greatest thing you can give to somebody else is drawing out that gift that they have. The way that we should be treating our elders, our beloved elders. I mean, these are the people who made us who we are. I mean, these are the people to whom we owe everything. The least that we can do is to remind them that they still have gifts and to receive those gifts from them with grace. Because in so doing... They remain relevant in all sorts of important ways. By the way, we benefit in a huge way because we need the lessons that they have for us. And to the extent that we can do that, then we can head this problem off the pass. When I'm talking to older people who, for whatever reason, they don't have people with enough good sense or benevolence to, to bring that out in them. One of the things that I talk about is relying on the spiritual nature of being relevant. One of the great things about a spiritual life is that it's the ultimate relevance. Uh, I'm a Roman Catholic, and, and, and my own religious belief is that I'm a beloved son of God. I'm inherently relevant. The world needs me. Other people need me. You know, one of the ways that I try to illustrate that fact is you know, I was talking to a group of college students at a, at a, at a Catholic university, and, and one of them, you know, they said, I said, look, everybody needs to be needed. And one of them puts up his hand. And he said, how am I supposed to need a homeless person? And I said, well, ask, what do you want that homeless person to do for you? Couldn't think of anything. I said, look, you need his prayers. You do. If you're a practicing Catholic like I am, you need that homeless. It's a poor person. has a special connection to God. You need that person's prayers. And so absolutely buy him a sandwich. But then say, would you pray for me and my family? And this is what, what people who feel irrelevant can do that to offer up their prayers and meditations, to offer up their thoughts for other people, to give their own love because we need their love. I know you say it's important that we have this human safety net of healthy relationships, but as people get older, they may find it harder to make new friends and they may have lost their older friends and their family members. So what can we do as we get older to have this human safety net of relationships? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is something, you know, people always say, I sure hope I live to 110. It's like, are you sure? Are you really sure? 
Yeah, um, that's what my mom you, always says. Like all of your friends are gone. Yeah, yeah, and it's really, really hard. And the answer to that is over the course of your life, you need to make multi-dimensional friendships and stay in touch with your family at all different generations. One of the biggest mistakes that we've made in our society, in my view, is that we 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 sort ourselves with respect to age. It's just the craziest thing that when you're in first grade, you're all with six-year-olds, and then by the time you're <laughs> in the sixth grade, you're all with twelve-year-olds, and you just only spend time with people your own age your whole life and by the way it's so boring because everybody's had the same set of experiences it's like a bunch of clones all the time i realize that people of the same age can have seen different things but you know what's really interesting is people who are much older and much younger that's really interesting and we need more communities that have more old people and babies and young people and that's what we need and so what people need to do and what i talk about in the book to grow older well, to have an insurance policy, to your social 401k, the investment that you need is every year making sure that you're cultivating friendships with people who are significantly younger than you. How do you do that outside of your family? Well, this actually ties to that second curve. You remember that second curve is your wisdom curve. That's your teaching curve. That doesn't mean that you're the, the in the hierarchy, the master and the other person is the, is the pupil and, and nothing can come between you. You should love people enough to be friends and teacher to different people. Cultivate friendships as part of your second curve is your wisdom curve, passing on the knowledge that you have and doing it with an abundance of generosity. Not everybody wants that knowledge. I got it. But boy, a lot of people do, especially if you've been successful. People would love that. Take on mentees, take on students, take a real interest in others. One of the main impediments that that, that old people have in their in their friendship with younger people is that, that that it actually starts with a character flaw in a lot of older people. They're just not very interested in others. And, and this is something that we can fight, each one of us, as we can remain interested. Other people are fascinating. I mean, it's amazing. They all have these lives and young people are extremely interesting in no small part because they're making the mistakes that you used to make. <laughs> kind of reminds you of the past. I look at my, my young adult children and, and they're thinking the same things that I did when I was 23 and 24 years old, when I was just falling in love and getting engaged, just like my older son is today. It's an extraordinary thing, but we, we need to make sure that we don't lose as we get older keep interest in other people. And in so doing, it will spark their interest in us. And, you know, I know social media has had a, a you know, a lot of, of criticism over the years and Facebook has taken its share of criticism, but I personally find that Facebook has enabled me to connect with people from all different walks of my life and, and generations, di- different you've, you've ages. You've got friends that are, that are all the, my friends, my right. sister's right, friends. Right. You know, and it, it's, it's different. I mean, yeah. you can like their stuff, you know, what's going on. Yeah. And I've reconnected with people from when I was in first grade and, and we were all clones and, and, yeah. now, and now we're very different, but you know, it, it really has been, you know, one of those ways of, of sort of broadening my world and especially during the pandemic, when you couldn't get out and, and connect with people in person. Yeah, you're so doing do you it right. About that? I love it. I love it. I think you're doing it absolutely right. You know, people often ask me, is social media good or bad? And I say, yes, <laughs> because the truth is that here's the deal with social media or Zoom or anything, FaceTime, any tech. If it becomes a substitute for real human relationships, it's bad. If it's a complement to real human relationships, it's good. If you're making connections with people with whom you have a real relationship or with whom you could not ever have any other connection, then that's fine. 
But if you're using it to wall yourself off, if you're closing yourself down, if you're if you're spending six to eight hours on it a day so you don't have to talk to real people in person, well, guess what? You're going to get lonelier. You're going to be sad. You're going to have a, a scarcity of the neuropeptide called oxytocin, which you get from eye contact and touch, and you're going to feel starved of it. You're going to be, frankly, unhappy. But But Jan, you're doing it right. Everybody should do it the way you do it. Thank you for saying that in front of my daughter. (laughs) (laughs) But I I was thinking it really has been a lifesaver for people during the pandemic who live alone and otherwise wouldn't have any contact with people. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. No, for sure. And this is one of the cases where it was complementary to relationships. And the reason is because there was you couldn't substitute for an in-person relationship. There was no in-person relationship, as it turns out. Now, it's not perfect, but. It's a lot better than total isolation, that's for sure. The key thing is as we come out of the pandemic, everybody, people who are looking to be happier as they get older, but everybody um, needs to remember that they need to reestablish in-person relationships. Just because that you got used to using social media and electronic means, that doesn't mean that you should continue to do so as intensively as you were forced to do during the lockdowns. So you really should make that effort if it's at all possible to have one-on-one in-person contact. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Eye contact and touch, eye contact and touch. That's the rule of the game if you want to get happier. This is also one of the reasons that it's not healthy for most people to live alone, especially as they get older. Look for friendships, close friendships. Uh, obviously, the ideally, you have a, a good marriage into old age, but not everybody's blessed with that, in which case very close friendships can be a more than adequate substitute maybe in some ways it's actually better for people who have lived on their own for older people for widows who think they want to continue to live on their own it actually might be a better thing for them to go into a home because at least they would have some connection they meet younger nurses aides and everything and they have people of their generation it can be it can be and and you know the the results are different for all kinds of different people we need a flexible variety but it's really not about to be uh, dogmatic about the actual living approach or, or, or living situation. It's about how can we make sure that we have lots of human contact. Now, introverts need less, extroverts need more, but we all need some and we all need to figure out the best way to do it. I mean, I know people who are very mobile, very healthy, well into the late 80s, even early 90s, and, and they live alone. But they go to church, for example. They have community events. They have lots of contact with other people. And that's what really matters. My, my beloved 92-year-old mother-in-law lives by herself still, but she's not alone very much. Because she's so beloved, people want to come see her all day long. What about the impact of animals, pets, cats, dogs, horses, whatever it might be, on making us happy as we grow older? They're just great. They're great for young people. They're great for middle-aged people. And they're especially good for older people. Now, people think, oh, what a pathetic substitute for humans. But I'm telling you, I've met a lot of dogs I like better than a lot of people. And, (laughs) and and, And the truth is that there's a neurobiological basis for this. Canines and homo sapiens have developed in in parallel. This is one of the reasons that if you have a really nervous, anxious, or even depressed dog, you can stimulate their serotonin a little bit with people uh, depression, psychiatric medications. They work on dogs too, because our brains are structurally very similar in many ways. And another way that they are is this neuropeptide called oxytocin. So when you look into a dog's eyes and you stroke your dog, your dog on average gets a 57% increase in blood oxytocin levels, which for people is like gazing into the eyes of your most beloved person, the person with whom you're passionately in love. People say, 
I think my dog loves me. Your dog literally loves you like people love you. Now, here's the most obvious social science finding of the decade. Your dog gets a 57% increase. Your cat gets a 12% increase. (laughs) So while your dog is in love with you, your cat tolerates you. (laughs) Sounds about right. (laughs) But you know, it really goes back to the Dalai Lama and feeling needed because that animal needs you to get up in the morning, get out of bed and feed them. Yeah. Yeah. And they also, if it's dog in particular, the dog needs your attention and needs your love. It's, It's the most interesting thing. I remember when my kids were begging me for it when they were little. My kids are all grown up now. But when my kids were little, they would they were begging me for a dog. We want to get a dog. And I'm like, no, I know who's going to wind up walking that dog. You know, no way. I put it off. And I, you know, I, I put off the inevitable for months. And we finally got the dog. His name was Chucho. He was such a good boy. And you know what? Within about a month, he loved me more than anybody. I was the... You know, he was the only person who was happy to see me when I got home from work sometimes. And and when he died 13 years later, I was so sad. I have to say it was such a beautiful relationship that we had with good old Chucho. Wow. Wow. You know, our show is called Nobody Told Me. And we always ask our guests at the end, what is it that nobody told you? What is it that you had to learn the hard way about life or about growing older that you really would like to pass on to other people. What nobody told me is that mother nature doesn't care if you're happy, <laughs> that you got to be responsible for your own happiness. I always yeah. kind of thought that, you know, if I followed the, 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 the normal progress of my life, if I did what seemed right, if I lived in accord with nature, that, that I'd get happier. Nobody told me that I'm responsible for my happiness. My lizard brain is responsible for the propagation of the species. But Arthur Brooks, the guy who wrote this book, who, who, by the way, I'm just every man, I'm every person in the world, that I am responsible for making sure that my happiness is something that I can enjoy. And furthermore, that my happiness is up to me. Look, there are certain things that are out of my control, but how I interpret them is in my space. It's in my decision set. So I must manage my happiness and I can manage my happiness. And this book is a 10-step strategic plan so that everybody can, and they can go from strength to strength. They can be happier at 75 than they were at 25. Boy, I take a lot from that, you know, at my age, and I know my mom does too. That's, That's really interesting. Well, how can people connect with you and learn more about the book? The book is available February 15th on every place. Uh, it, as they say, where all fine books are sold, but probably <laughs> where every, all books are sold. And, and, and I'm glad of that. You can learn more about my work at arthurbrooks.com. I also write every week for The Atlantic. Every Thursday morning at The Atlantic, I write a column on the science of happiness and how you can use it. It's not technical at all. It usually has three big takeaways on things that you can adopt that very day to become happier. So if you read the Atlantic column and you read the new book and, 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 uh, and then you spread these ideas to other people, that's really the most important thing that all of us can do. I love that column. Yeah. yeah. And we thank you so much for spreading the ideas to us on this episode. This has been, this has been great. I feel happier now. I'm really glad you deserve to feel happier. Yeah. 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 Well, Again, you've got the secret. You're making people happier every week. Yeah, no. And it, and you know, and you do feel happier when you reach out and try to make somebody else's day. Yeah, it's just absolutely. Instead of saying, Hey, I'm going to go on Amazon and buy something for myself. (laughs) Absolutely. Yep. The ultimate self-care is other care, as they say. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Again, our thanks to Arthur C. Brooks, whose latest book is called From Strength to Strength, Finding Success 
happiness, and deep purpose in the second half of life. His website is arthurbrooks.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.